All right, so today I wanted to talk about, um, it was again, uh, and I'm working again, so there will be pauses in this where I'm pausing to concentrate on work. Um, but today I want to talk about a, actually I think he, yeah, he just put it out like a couple hours ago. I don't know whether I'll actually publish this on the same day that he released it because I might want to think about it a little bit because again it is a complicated topic and I don't know whether I'll be able to do it justice just you know trying to um, think on the fly and articulate it you know while I'm working especially that'll you know distract me a bit and I might not be able to think as clearly but again I don't really have a lot of time on my hands to be doing this anymore not as much time as I used to so I'll try as best as I can to comment on this but um, what I wanted to talk about uh, what the hell is going on oh okay uh, is uh, Tim Pool in an episode that was released on the day that I am recording this. Released an episode of, not his his live podcast, but not Timcast IRL, but, you know, his, um, you know, his little segments that he publishes throughout the day. And he released one talking about the gas shortages, as well as the fact that there are food shortages all over the country. Or, well, he he questioned whether there actually are food shortages, like whether there'll be long-lasting shortages, or whether there'll be, you know, that's just the media trying to, you know, um, basically scare people for clicks or something like that. Um, but he did acknowledge that he um, at least... Uh, Give me a sec. He gave anecdotal evidence to back up the news claims that there are food shortages. Um, where I live, I haven't noticed shortages. I certainly have noticed increased prices. Not necessarily shortages yet. But I do live in a relatively low population part of the United States. Um, it's not like a tiny place, but it's definitely not. It's it's roughly a town of like forty thousand people. And. So he did get to it. At, at first, he was kind of playing coy. Oh, why? Why could this be happening? Um, and then, about halfway or a little past halfway, he got to the reason why it would be happening. Which was, and 
I believe he correctly identified the problem. For anyone with even a basic grasp of economics, it should be pretty obvious. Uh, people are basically being paid not to work right now, which is ironic given that I am currently working two jobs because I'd rather work two jobs and remain productive than um, not work and, you know, live as a leech. But, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of like, well, I've been paying, you know, into the Illinois State Unemployment Insurance Program, therefore I should be entitled to payments for that. But, I mean, I'm not the sort of person that minds working. Um, I work more than I should. I work more than I need to. But... Like, I should probably be working less. I really don't need to have two jobs. Um, but I like having <laughs> enough money to where I'm not worrying about how I'm going to... Like, when I only had one job, yeah, I had a lot more time on my hands, but I had to be a lot more careful with my spending with two jobs, I really don't have to worry about my spending at all. I just, you know, if I want something, I buy it. <laughs> so, um, and, and I really shouldn't be. Um, I should be, like, saving, or actually, more importantly, actually, I don't know how important it will be, given the way the economy is going, but I'll probably do it anyway. I have been working... The main reason why I started working two jobs was to get my debts paid off. Not student loan debts, by the way. My student I do have student loan jet debts, but they're they're minimal because I went to a community college, so I didn't rack up a lot. They're very manageable. They they are they contribute I I make like fifty dollar or I have to make like a fifty dollar a month student loan payment. So it's not a contributing factor to why I need to make more money. Um, I have a lot of uh, basically credit card debt. Basically, when I was younger in my 20s, I got credit cards and, you know, not really thinking about it. I ran up a bunch of debt on things that I wanted but did not need. But, you know, I was like, ah, fuck it. Spend. <laughs> this was this was also before I ever learned anything about either economics or finances, so I was a lot more poorly informed back then. Um, so, like, my mentality was like, "Oh, why save to buy something that I want now when I can buy it on credit and then pay it off over time?" It's basically the same thing, right? Um, Paying off over time is the same as saving over time, right? No. Um, if you don't know that, I'm telling you right now, depending upon how... Uh, if For the younger people out there that might not know that, um, if there's something you want and you can save for it, save for it. Don't, don't put it on credit if you don't have to. Because you'll, if anything you put on credit, if you can't pay it off quickly, you will spend 
significantly more paying it off than what it would have cost you to save for it. Um, and boy, did I go off on a tangent there. But again, I'm working, which is making it a little difficult for, for, for me to focus right now. Um, So anyway, yeah, uh, so basically, yeah, he, he correctly identified later in the episode that basically the problem is people are getting paid not to work. And when people are being paid not to work, then that means our economy is overall less productive. If it's less productive, there's less goods to buy. Less goods to buy means that Obviously, there's shortages, and shortages, usually in a market, unless the government intervenes and prevents them from doing it, mean higher prices. And if they don't raise prices enough, or are prevented from raising prices, then that means shortages. Um, and oftentimes, businesses don't want to raise prices, even when they do raise prices, they don't want to raise it a lot because they don't want to upset their consumer base. So they end up having shortages anyway, even when they do raise the prices because they don't want to piss anybody off. Um, me talking to myself regarding my work. Oops. Um, I'll try editing this down so that there's not so much uh, like just uh, time where I'm not saying anything and you're just hearing me type. Although, I don't know, when I listen back to some of the episodes where I was working while, type, uh, working while recording, it was almost kind of just relaxing listening to myself type, so I don't know. I might leave it not. If it goes, I'll, I'll try cutting it down. That's, that's ridiculous. Unless, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll try editing it out. I just don't, I'll have to figure out how you do that using the uh, Anchor phone app. I'm pretty sure there is a way to do it. Um, or might, might even be easier to just go onto the Anchor website on my computer and edit it down that way. Uh, so yeah, but there was, there was, the reason why I say this is going to get a little complicated, even though I just um, basically explained it right there, you know, uh, the high unemployment pay payments mean that it pays more not to work than it does to work, which means that production is down, which means that there's less supplies, which means that, you know, um, prices will rise and we'll have shortages. 
even though it's easy to simply explain it like that, there is actually a lot more than that I'd like to go in depth on here. And that's basically, and I wanted to kind of keep this channel a I mean, not really apolitical because what I talk about here is going to be political, but I wanted to stay out of sort of, uh, directly discussing politics, like discussing Biden or Trump or any other candidates. I wanted to avoid relating, even if I was going to talk about things political, I would have preferred to keep, keep it related to like anime or video games. That way there are things that, you know, I can talk about that people might be more willing to listen to if it's not related to things that they might take so personally as their political preferences. But in this case, I don't know that I'll be able to find something in the anime world that would I'd be able to apply this as well to. Um, and it's something I do want to talk about. Um, now that I think about it, it might... Um, the anime um, Mao Yu might be because that one's actually fairly um it's a fairly economically in-depth anime um it's really interesting especially from an, a libertarian perspective to watch that anime um but i don't know i don't know that it it's still not might, might not be good enough um it is an anime that i would like to discuss in the future from a libertarian perspective, just because there's so much there. it It's not necessarily a great anime for, like, just, like, entertainment anime, you know, watching for fun standards, but there's interesting content there. Um, I'll sum it up real quick. That way, if anybody that's listening right now would like to check it out, um, basically, I won't sum up the whole thing. I'll just give you sort of the gist of what it's about that way you can decide whether you want to watch it or not so it's it's a fantasy anime about um a hero that is you know it's 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 playing off the trope of a hero sent to slay the demon lord or in this anime they call the demon lord the demon king um and he arrives at the Demon King's palace to kill the Demon King. And it is not a Demon King that he is there to slay, but a Demon Queen, who still maintains the traditional title of Demon King, despite the fact that she is female. She's a big-tittied, redhead uh, demon lady. Um... And basically she confesses her love for him immediately upon meeting him. And they get married. <laughs> and she disguises herself to join him along in human society and basically works with him in order to alter human politics and economics for the greater prosperity of humanity 
and hopefully for peace between the demon and human kingdoms. And yeah, it's um, it's definitely interesting to watch and analyze from a libertarian perspective. Um, on the very first episode, the I forget her name, but the demon queen, demon king lady, she says some things that at first, like, it confused me because I thought she was making claims about how economics works when talking to the, the, the hero. No, she wasn't, she wasn't talking about, it becomes clear as you progress through the anime. She wasn't saying this is how economics works, but she was making a critique of how the human economy currently works and explaining to him how, how their economy functions in its current state. And it is flawed in that it, it, it basically sort of makes the claim, it, it makes a Keynesian claim to the prosperity of how, how humans has, have prospered up to that point. And at the same time that it says that basically these Keynesian notions are the way that humans have managed to sustain themselves up to that point, she also proposes that there is a better way. So, um, although it might not be so much a critique on Keynesians, Keynesianism so much as a critique on feudalism. So, anyway, take you'll just have it's been a long time since i've watched it i'll have to look at it again you can look at it um but anyway so what i wanted to talk about and like i said i kind of wanted to avoid doing this on this show but we'll we'll do it anyway because i think it's important and i'll try to articulate it as best i can and that's uh, Biden's economic policies and how I feel they are screwing up the economy very badly. Not just in the, you know, paying people not to work front. Okay, so let me do this real quick and I'll get to, whoops, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let me focus real quick. So, there's, there's a few issues with Biden's economic policy other than paying people not to work. And if you're already familiar with libertarian ideas, you might know what's coming. Um, and I've mentioned some of these in past episodes briefly, but not really gone into detail about them. And they're, they're things that have persisted for probably since FDR and going onward. Actually, no, even before FDR, Hoover did this too. Maybe it started with Woodrow Wilson? I don't know. Was it Wilson? Yeah, I think it's... Yep, Woodrow Wilson. Okay, so, 
deficit spending and the Federal Reserve central banking and you know easy credit um, inflation uh, and uh, interest rates like I said it'll be complicated I don't know if I'll be able to get 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 all my thoughts out uh, but we'll try so Where to begin? Let's kind of just stick with the shortages and try and explain it from that perspective and working out to all the issues from that perspective. Okay, so the, I mean, we already went over the unemployment benefits, but along with those, they were included in an omnibus package that included a lot of federal spending. Now, we'll start with the spending, um, and then we'll work our way out from there into more general, broad things. So the problem with spending, government spending, is... <clears throat> okay, so most immediately, one of the outcomes of government spending is that it sends a false signal to the market that there's demand where it doesn't or it wouldn't exist in the market um even if it's even if it's spending on things that people would buy in the market the mere fact that government is spending on it means that they're creating more demand there than would exist. Otherwise, there'd be no point in the government spending on it to begin with. Other, because, you know, that would... the mark, Well, yeah, I, I think that's right. Because, you know, if the market... If, if, if the demand were already at levels that it would be with government spending, then the government wouldn't need to spend on it. And what that does is it sends a signal to those particular markets or industries, whatever you want to call them, that there is more demand in those markets or industries, which signals to producers that they need to make more of that thing. And producers making more of that thing costs scarce resources, which redirects those scarce resources from other 
modes of production into that subsidized mode of production. Meaning that you'll get more of the thing that government is subsidizing and less of the things that it that utilize those same resources that the government is not subsidizing which means that in the long term what will end up happening is you'll get a rise in prices in the subsidized markets or sorry a, a, a decrease in prices in the subsidized markets well not necessarily actually no, you will get a rise in prices in the subsidized markets because it indicates an increase in demand. And increases in demand result in higher prices. Um, and then over time, as suppliers see this increase in demand, they'll, you know, redirect their resources to the production of that thing, which will then... Re 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 result in an e increase in supply and hopefully it will equalize out um although i'm, I'm not necessarily sure about that one because that's taking a sort of demand drives supply view of things and that's not what drives supply um what drives supply is savings and investment. And what causes more savings and investment is, well, what, okay, what causes more savings is higher interest rates. What causes more investment, well, wait, no. Yeah, that's savings and investment. Um, although in investment in... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Savings and investment. Um, lower interest rates result in more consumption. So, <clears throat> so it'll result in increased demand and thus higher prices. Um, <laughs> the weird thing is that because it redirects resources away from other modes of production that utilize the same resources, is that it would reduce the supply in other markets, thus also in decrease in supply, also results in higher prices. So you just get higher prices across the board. Uh Okay, now moving on from the market incentives, how they manipulate market demand and market supply in what F.A. Hayek would have called malinvestment. Um, basically, malinvestment is basically all government investment because the government cannot have I been doing this right give me a sec 
no government investment is an accurate representation of the way markets would naturally invest absent government um, government market manipulations. Uh, so, ab moving beyond those factors, the other thing that government spending does is, well, how does government get the money that it needs to spend? Um, there's the obvious way, taxing. And taxing, if it's on income, that, you know, tax of income is a tax on labor. And as we know from this is, again, very basic economic concept. Anything you tax, you will get less of. So a tax on labor means less labor. Uh, if it's a tax on wealth, you will get less wealth. If it's, if it's a tax on capital, you will get less capital. Um, I'm going to go ahead and so so, no, and all of those are bad things. Like no, none of those have a good result. Less labor, not good. Less wealth, not good. Less capital. From an Austrian perspective, that's really not good. Um. Because in the from the Austrian perspective, capital is what makes economies grow. Uh, and there there are so many other taxes like sales taxes. There's um, you know the um, I can't remember what they're called, but basically the tax on like um, inheritances. Um, I can't remember what those are called. There's there's taxes on everything. Every single dollar that moves through the economy gets taxed like at every single every single time it changes hands, it gets taxed. The only way that it doesn't get taxed get taxed is if you gave it to a church. But then that church is gonna spend that dollar and then it'll get taxed at that point. So but the only part the on, like <laughs> the only part of way you can move a dollar from one person to another is if you gave it to a church. That's the only way I can think of. Um, not that I'm advocating that. I am an atheist, but I'm also not the sort of atheist that gives a damn what you believe. Um, oftentimes I find other atheists more insuff insufferable than religious people. Um, because oftentimes you'll find that atheists, because of their perspective on the world, you know, because they are believers in science, they also happen to believe that they're, they, they have a tendency, not all of them, but a lot of atheists have a tendency to believe that because they believe in science, there are elites among us, people with knowledge 
that only they have obtained, only is, that is only accessible to them. And those people are the ones with the wisdom and the clarity to make the decisions for the rest of us, and we need to put them in charge of our lives and give them control over everything because they will know what's best for us. I find that that is a very common perspective among atheists. And in my opinion, it's no coincidence that the Soviet Union and many other communist nations were atheist nations. Um, so anyway, uh, that was, again, a tangent. Sorry about that. Okay, so excluding those ways, which are all negative... Um, Just getting less of those things make a... Getting less of any of those things makes an economy less healthy. Um, because I'm going to go ahead and say the standard libertarian phrase, taxation is theft. And taxation, or theft, does not result in a more productive society. Um... All right. Let's see. Got to do this real quick. Oh, this one will be easy. All right. Um, so the other method by which government can spend money is if they make it. And... Oh. The way money is made in the United States is through the central bank, which holds the exclusive right of the printing press for fiat currency. Uh, give me a moment. All right. Now, How, I, I, I'm trying to decide whether to start with why the government printing money is bad. And it's technically not the government, but it is the government printing money. It's The Federal Reserve is a private bank, but it's staffed entirely by government-appointed people. And it is entirely controlled by the government and the people appointed by government. So it's, it's a government agency. Um, you can label it private all you want, but it's a government agency. So, let's start with how the government gets money printed by the Fed. Because the Fed can't just directly give 
the government money. And this is definitely a simplification of how the government gets money, but it it generally captures how they do it well enough for you to understand it. So the Federal Reserve can't just print money and give it to the government for the government to spend. So they have this roundabout way of doing it, where the way that government can get money from people voluntarily without taxing it is by the, um, the Treasury issuing Treasury bonds. Treasury bonds are basically a, a loan that investors can purchase in which they, they purchase the loan and the money from the purchase goes to the government and that bond entitles the purchaser of the bonds to payments from the government until the loan is paid off. Uh, so people can purchase treasury bonds and banks can purchase treasury bonds. Um, so what happens is banks purchase treasury bonds from the government. So money goes from the bank to the government. Then the Federal Reserve, because they can't purchase those treasury bonds directly from the government, after the banks have purchased treasury bonds from the government, the Federal Reserve then, after having run the printing presses, they inject all the newly printed money into the economy by purchasing the treasury bonds from the banks. And in this way, in a roundabout way, the Federal Reserve is giving money to the government fresh off the printing press, basically. Not technically fresh off the printing press, but in the end, that's the way it works out through this roundabout method of the Federal Reserve getting money to the government. Now, whenever new money enters into the economy, whenever the money supply is increased through newly minted fiat currency, it is given directly to the banks first. And then the banks... You know, they use that money in various methods, loaning them out, loaning the money out to, you know, businesses or people or, you know, students, people buying cars, whatever. But the, the, the big banks that can, that the government goes to directly 
for loans to sell them treasury bonds. Those are the really big banks that mostly handle loans to major corporations. So all the newly minted money goes to the banks first, usually. I mean, usually, that, that's where it goes. It goes to the banks first. Because the Federal Reserve, the only way they inject money into the money supply is through purchasing um, assets from banks. So the money goes to the banks, and then the banks usually loan it to corporations, um, or they loan it to other banks, loan it to other smaller banks. Um, and the rate at which they loan those banks to money to other banks is an interest rate set by the Federal Reserve, which determines, you know, the likelihood that these banks will basically disperse money throughout the, or the rate at which these banks will disperse money throughout the economy. Um, and there was an economist, I can't remember his first name, but um, basically he came up with this concept, which we now, it's named after him, and we call it the Cantillon effect, which basically means that wherever money is injected into the economy first is which where most of the benefit of that in, in, um, injection of money goes. And this is easily understood by the fact that um, basically it takes time for the economy to recognize that there has been an increase in the money supply and adjust to it. Um, so when the banks start buying or um, selling, well, when the banks start buying things with the newly minted money, um, they, uh, it hasn't fully realized the increase in demand that comes with more money. Um, and, you know, to demonstrate the increase in demands that comes with more money, just imagine you suddenly got $1,000 right now, like $1,000 on top of what, what you already hit. just somebody magically poof, $1,000 in your pocket. You're going to probably um, spend more. And that's an increase in demand. Your, your demands have increased along with your increase in money. Um, so the increase in demand is most immediate with the bank's increase in demand. But it takes time for an increase in demand to disperse through the economy until it, you know, results in higher prices. So the, the most immediate um, uses of that newly minted money don't experience the increase in prices that normally come with an increase in demand because the money has to be dispersed through the economy before the market realizes the, and I don't mean realize in like a sentient way, so much as the increased demand isn't 
realized through market mechanisms until the money has fed through the system, increasing market or increasing demands in the market at multiple levels through which that money has made, you know, changed hands. You know what I mean? So like, let's say the Federal Reserve, you know, purchases a treasury bond from one of the big banks and then using that money that big bank then purchases loan contracts to smaller banks and major corporations and then those smaller banks and major corporations then start purchasing more loan the the smaller banks start purchasing loan contracts to small businesses private um individuals that are seeking loans for homes, cars, student loans, whatever, um, small businesses seeking loans for, you know, whatever, uh, you know, as it disperses through the economy, it, you know, it spreads out more and more, increasing demand more and more as it spreads out further and further. And the demand is only realized the more and more it spreads out, thus over time, raising the prices. So the the people that don't experience that immediate inflationary effect are the people that receive the money first, and that's a Kantian effect. Uh, let's see. I guess that, that's kind of explained... At the same time that I've, by doing that, I guess I've at the same time explained not only how um, printing money through the Federal Reserve is, uh, how, how that money gets to the government and then in turn throughout the economy, but also why it's bad. So, and I guess... So now all you've got to really understand from those explanations that I've given is that the Biden Biden economy, the Biden administration is doing both those things to unprecedented degrees. It's it's spending to unprecedented degrees. Like the amount of spending that has been done in these first 5 months or of the Biden administration is unparalleled since I believe World War II. We haven't spent this much outside of World War II, and World War II was the World War. It makes sense we were spending that much. Um, not necessarily from a libertarian perspective, that does it make sense in like libertarian terms, but you understand why the government was spending so much during World War II. Um, so yeah. Government spending a ton that that causes a lot of dist distortionary market forces. Um, it also causes a lot of malinvestment because it sends market signals that do not accurately re reflect what's actually occurring in the market. Um, there have been un you know insane tax increases under the Biden administration, which discourage all the market activities that you know those are taxes on. 
mentioned how that's bad. And you've got unprecedented, unprecedented amounts of um, monetary increases in the monetary supply. And, you know, we've, we've explained that that results in mass inflation. And it, it hits the last people to get those newly minted dollars the hardest. And basically, it's really a tax on future wealth because inflation makes all your dollars in the future worth less. And all of that value that is lost from the inflation goes to the first people to get that money through the Cantheon effect, which are the big banks and the major corporations and the government. So yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I've explained it all in not as brief a fashion as I hoped, but in a better way I, I i think i did better than i was expecting to explaining that so i guess that's all i wanted to say for now i'll catch you later